Misa think it's a time for another episode. Please, please, don't ever do Jar Jar Binks on Gen X Cinema Geeks again. That was Jar Jar, wasn't it? Misa think us all. Stop it. Stop it right now. Uh, people, I apologize for the Jar Jar adjacent takeover. At Gen X Cinema Geeks, we are back after a whopping two-month hiatus. It has been a busy month here at Geek Headquarters, so we apologize uh, to all two of you out there for the incredible delay. Um, but here we are. We're ready to do 1999. We're going to wrap up the 90s today. And I have to say for me personally, I don't know how you feel, but I feel that if 1998 was a year where I struggled to come up with 10, 1999 is an embarrassment of riches. And you, being rich, are one of those. <laughs> Although maybe not an embarrassment. Uh, I will say, though, that things I find super interesting are the aforementioned Jar Jar appears nowhere on anyone's list. And neither does the Academy Award Best Picture, because we both hate it. I wouldn't go so far as to say I hate it, but I'm not that fond of it. It's just kind of... Eh. It's icky. It's icky, yeah. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, just meh. Well, especially, and knowing what we know now, possibly more icky. Yeah, it's just, there's some fine cinematography in it. That's all I'll say, good in, in its defense. All right, well, for those of you who are new to the channel, and if you're new to the channel, why are you starting at 1999? It makes no logical sense, but we welcome you nonetheless. I am Chris, the hashtag basic geek, sitting next to my brother, the hashtag snobby geek. Misa, don't like it, that intro. Dear God, please stop it. Um, <laughs> I, you threw me off, man. <laughs> what I'm trying to tell the nice people is that I tend to like movies that are a little bit more maybe theatrical favorites, whereas you tend to lean more into some of the deeper indie cuts, foreign films, things people may have never heard of. And some things that they have. So we uh, do our shtick. We are brothers and sister. We count down our top 10 favorite movies in a given year. This is 1999. We are wrapping up the best movie, movie decade, in my personal opinion. Uh, after this, we have a stirring and fun set of different countdowns that we're going to do before we get into the decade that brought us Lord of the Rings, which may in fact require its own episode because it's that fabulous. So who's going to start this list? You or me? Um, should we rock, paper, scissors? Sure. Okay, you ready? Okay, we're doing this, guys. You ready? Okay, everybody. And one, two, three. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I went early and I swore okay. on the mic. One more time. One, two, three. <clears throat> okay, tie it, scissors. One, two, three. <clears throat> tie it, paper. One, two, three. <clears throat> tie it, rock. Okay, you win. You go first. He's going first. I'm going to go first, and I'm going to discuss my number 10 film, because that's usually where you start in a top 10, at number 10. Wow, you're good at this. <laughs> 10 being the 10th number. Uh, Lobbest thy the holy hand grenade towards thy thou. <laughs> eh, sorry, Money Python reference. Uh, number 10 for me is a fun little film where uh, people get beheaded quite often in the film. It is Sleepy Hollow, directed by Tim Burton. Uh written by Andrew Kevin a. Walker of Seven fame, adapted from the classic novel by Washington Irving, of course, starring Johnny Depp, Christina Ricci, Miranda Richardson, Ian McDiarmid, and Christopher Walken, Foo Fighters. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So uh, Ichabod Crane, a detective from New York, is sent to the uh, town of Sleepy Hollow to investigate a series of, uh, uh, oh my gosh, near supernatural murders, a uh, particularly hard task as his quarry seems to come from hell itself. What I like about Sleepy Hollow, this is, I think, one of the last great Tim Burton movies before he became Mr. I don't know, just phoning it in, Tim Burton, kind of, he got sidelined and became just kind of a, eh, director. I would like to throw a nightmare before Christmas at you right now, sir. That came after, that came before this. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Just sit there in your corner and you're wrong, just and be wrong. Uh what I like about this movie, it features kind of a unique combination of talent. I mean, you have the master of whimsy and supernatural eeriness and Tim Burton, who did Beetlejuice and the aforementioned Nightmare Before Christmas. And you got uh, Andrew Kevin Walker, who wrote Seven. So what you get is sort of a supernatural crime procedural. <laughs> so it's actually kind of a cool combination. Um, what a great ensemble cast. I mean, the nerd connections in this movie are never-ending. You got Star Wars actors, Harry Potter actors, Lord of the Rings actors. It's just... a a cornucopia of nerd trivia. Um, I love the fact that this movie was shot entirely indoors. Even the outdoor stuff is indoor sets. The production design and costume design of this movie are fantastic. Danny Elfman wrote a terrific score, as usual. This is one of my favorite uh, Burton-Depp-Elfman combos. And, uh, yeah, it's leagues uh, better than the 1949 Disney animated movie, which I really like because of the Mr. Toad segment. But the Ichabod segment is actually kind of dull, if I'm being honest. So check out Sleepy Hollow. Um, it's Johnny Depp at his most deppiness, Tim Burton at his most Burtonish, and Danny Elfman being truly, truly evil. Of course, Christopher Walken, he's great as a headless horseman, but he has no lines. He just kind of goes a lot. So you don't get any of that cool Walken, you know, Christopher Walken, Foo Fighters. You, know, you don't get that here. So yeah, check it out, Sleepy Hollow. All right, a couple of things to note. Number one, I don't know when anything came out, folks, even though we already talked about Nightmare Before Christmas, and that is why I have to Google the year <laughs> before we actually record an episode so I can figure out which movies are appropriate to list. I don't know what day it is. I seldom know my own name. It's just how it is. Also, the Foo Fighters that he's talking about, if you haven't seen, there's a YouTube clip of Dave Grohl doing a Christopher Walken impression from a time where he introduced them on Saturday Night Live. If you haven't seen it and you like Christopher Walken, you got to watch it because I'm gonna. I love Dave Grohl. Grohl does a very good <laughs> Dave Grohl does a great Christopher Walken, and the clip features the recently uh, late Taylor Hawkins, who we all love with all our hearts here at the Geeks. Uh, so it's a good watch. Having said that, we're on to my number ten. Uh, my number ten. It's kind of an interesting little movie that flew under the radar. It was directed by Mark Pellington and written by Aaron Kruger. Uh, and it's called Arlington Road. It stars Jeff Bridges, Tim Robbins, Joan Cusack, who <laughs> she's Joan Cusack, right? She's amazing. Hope Davis and Robert Gossett. And it's kind of a, uh, it was kind of an underrated little thriller um, featuring Jeff Bridges, the dude, by the way, as Professor Michael Faraday, who teaches history uh, at a Northern uh, Virginia University, he kind of has an emphasis on terrorism and FBI tactics after losing his wife in a botched um, FBI raid. And uh, he meets this new and seemingly perfect neighbors after he finds their son running, bleeding down the street. And uh, as he gets to know them, 
uh, he starts to wonder if they really are who they seem to be or if his his past and losing his wife has like opened up a paranoia in him, you know, teaching about terrorism and anti-terrorism tactic, tactics, whether or not he's uh, whether or not he's kind of off his rocker and seeing things that aren't really there. Um, so there's kind of this crazy descent into his paranoia where you're not sure if it's clouding his vision or if the things he's seeing really exist. It's kind of an atypical thriller, which is pretty cool. And a lot of people, <laughs> I read a lot of reviews where people watch it and they're like, yeah, it was really dumb. Um, I, I don't think y'all got it. First of all, <laughs> the ending of the movie actually reveals the plot. So if you, <laughs> if you watch it and you see the ending and you think, oh, all those coincidences, they weren't coincidences. That's the whole point. The whole point of the movie is, I'm going to say it right now without spoiling it, selection, right? <laughs> so selections are made <laughs> and then... The plan progresses until it culminates in the finish. That is the plot of the movie. You just don't realize it until you get to the very end. That's kind of what makes the movie super cool. Um, but it there are no coincidences. And that's kind of why it's a super interesting and fun watch. If you haven't seen it, give it a try. Arlington Road. I pre I'm pretty sure it's on streaming right now. One of the, one of the platforms has it. Interesting factoid I just discovered uh, at the top of the show. You mentioned that I tend to have like artsy, fartsy, and foreign films on my list. Mm -hmm. I don't have any foreign films on my top 10 this year. Who are you and what have you done with my <laughs> fellow geek? Uh, it's the first time since the very first episode, I think. Uh, my number nine is a very uh, a European thriller, though, but not a foreign film. Uh, my number nine is... The Talented Mr. Ripley, directed by Anthony Minghella, written by Minghella from the novel of the same name by Patricia Highsmith. Uh, the stars Matt Damon, Jude Law, Gwyneth Paltrow, Kate Blanchett, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and James Reborn. As the slogan on the poster of this movie suggests, Tom Ripley will do anything to be a fake somebody rather than be a real nobody which is a really cool advertising slogan, I think. Hired by a rich tycoon, Ripley travels to Italy to retrieve his wayward son, but Ripley is seduced by Dickie Greenleaf's glamorous, hedonistic lifestyle and will do just about anything to stay as long as he possibly can, even kill to do it. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Ah, this is a very classy thriller, uh, kind of Hitchcockian in its execution, which is why I really like it. It's... They don't really make Hitchcockian-esque thrillers anymore, so Talented Miss Ripley just hits all those buttons for me. It's exotic, it's European, it's jazzy, it's got a propulsive score. Jude Law is having a remarkable time playing the sort of like shallow, rich youth who just has the world at his fingertips, you know, for the asking. Did you mention genetically perfect? Yeah, he's, he's really hideous. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, Jude Law is like... Like, I'd go gay for him. He's just he's just really good. And so does Matt Damon, actually. Uh, he's Matt Damon is actually really outstanding here. Um, he is uh, full of self-loathing, but yet he's really manipulative. Manipulative. Wow, that's a hard word to get out today. Um, he just, just sleezes his way through this whole movie. He's always one step ahead of everybody, but, like, so close. I mean, Gwyneth Paltrow actually figures out his game pretty early on, but she can never actually catch him or prove it. So it's really frustrating for her character. And uh, let's face it. I mean, as good as this movie is, Italy is really the star here. It looks gorgeous. It's really beautiful. The jazz music is fantastic. And Anthony Minghella made a joke because when he cast this movie, 
Goodwill Hunting was still kind of in everybody's mind, and and Kate Blanchett had just done Elizabeth, and Gwyneth Paltrow had just done Shakespeare in Love, and he made a joke saying the casting of this movie made me look smarter than I actually am, <laughs> and of course Philip Seymour Hoffman blew up after this movie too. So what an incredible ensemble in this movie. So uh, it's it's a very stylish, classy thriller, and I highly recommend the talented Mr. Ripley. Very cool. Stacked cast. Excellent. Excellent. Um, all right. On to my number 10. Excuse me. Nine. Again, I can't count. I don't know what year it is. I don't know. I'm, I can see you guys, I'm a mess. All right. I'm a mess. Uh, I did say it was a tough month here at the gigs. I am exceptionally tired and I am bringing all of my energy for you guys right now. Uh, I got confused because my number nine is 10 things I hate about you. You see how that works? So on my card, there's a 10. But 10 is the title, right? So follow along. I'm so confused. Follow along. Number Lisa th- thinking you need a you nap. Jar Jar. Jar Jar, go to the corner. Jar Jar, go to your corner. No. Yes. Lisa okay. said no. Not asking, Jar Jar. Not asking. All right. So my number nine. That was a big snort, you guys. I hope you heard that. That Wow. All right. My number nine is 10 Things I Hate About You. It was directed by Gil Younger, Junger, Junger, Younger, something like that. Uh, J-U-N-G-E-R, so form your own conclusions. It was written by Karen McCullough and Kirsten Smith, adapted from the William Shakespeare play The Taming of the Shrew. It stars the late, great Heath Ledger, Julia Stiles, everyone's favorite sweetheart, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, Larissa Olenek, Gabrielle Union, and Allison Janney. Um... As teen rom-coms go, 10 Things I Hate About You is a superstar. It's great. Uh, It follows the Stratton sisters. Bianca Stratton is a sweet, pretty teenager. She's not allowed to date, though, until her ill-tempered older sister Kat does. When new kid Cameron, the wide-eyed Joseph Gordon-Levitt, becomes smitten with Bianca, he devises a scheme to pay (laughs) scary loner Patrick Verona to date cat and of course hilarity ensues romance ensues there's a middleman self-obsessed uh dude named joey who bianca's temporarily attracted to um but he, he's a real he's a schmuck if you want to know the truth um the movie works in a lot of ways uh, because of the cast ledger heath ledger and julia styles are charming they're very real they're very relatable she, the fact that she's just a spitfire <laughs> makes it a lot of fun to watch because she's not your usual, you know, simpering kind of heroine, which is great. Um, as a female, I can say I like it because they both end up picking the right guys in the end. <laughs> they both end up picking the guys who are nice to them. And that goes a long way, especially when in rom-coms, it doesn't always work out that way. So definitely a uh, plus in the win column for 10 Things I Hate About You. Um it's very real. It's very human, um, as much as a teenage rom-com can. And you have Heath Ledger doing a song and dance number in the bleachers, which has to be counted as a win as well. So that's my number nine, infinitely rewatchable. Um, if you haven't seen it, give it a watch. Okay, people, I promise that I will do no more Jar Jar impressions. Thank the Lord. I almost did another one right now. Stop it. <laughs> 
need help. I need help. I need lots of help. Um, especially after I discuss my number eight movie because it's bonkers and I'm not even joking. My number eight is a little film uh, called Being John Malkovich. This was directed by Spike Jones from a script by Charlie Kaufman. And ob- that's all you need to know right there. That's how bonkers this is. Uh, John Cusack, Cameron Diaz, uh, Catherine Keener, Mary Kay Place, and of course, John Malkovich star in this, not a documentary. This movie is not a documentary. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Unemployed puppeteer Craig Schwartz finds a way to fulfill his empty life when he discovers a portal into the mind and body of celebrated actor John Malkovich. Of course, things go haywire when everybody wants to be Malkovich, including Malkovich himself. Have you guys seen this movie? This movie is strange. I had a hard time summarizing this movie um, because it's so unusual. It, it may be its own thing into itself. I mean, this movie would not even been made had John Malkovich not signed on to do it. Um, I don't know what this movie is about. I don't know what the themes are. I mean, I really don't. Is it about dominance? Is it about self-identity? Is it about revenge? Is it about uh, being your own person and not trying to emulate other people? I it could be all those things and none of those things. That's how cool this movie is. But it is it is probably the most singular, unique movie that came out in 1999. And that is a high compliment because this was a year of really good movies. Malkovich is firing on all cylinders. He's having the time of his life playing himself. He's playing as sort of a caricature, but not quite, if you, if you see my meaning. Um, there's a running gag throughout the movie whenever people recognize him. They always say, hey, I loved you in that movie where you played a jewel thief. And he's like, I've never played a jewel thief. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually kind of funny. I wonder if that's his way of saying, I would like to be in a movie where I play a jewel thief. I don't know, maybe. Um, and John Cusack is great in the movie. The puppetry is really good, too. There's like some really intense puppet work in this movie. And Cameron Diaz, this might actually be her best performance. I'm normally not the biggest Diaz fan, but she's quite good here, so... Uh, yeah, odd premise, and I doubt it will ever be duplicated anytime soon. So if you haven't checked out Being John Malkovich, I highly suggest it. Catherine Keener is a hoot in the movie as well. Um, she's just brilliant in anything anyway. So, uh, Malkovich, 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 Malkovich. And I'm eagerly awaiting the sequel being Christopher Walken, which hasn't been made yet, and I don't know why, because it sounds amazing. Because it would be five hours long. It would be. People would be like, I'm walking. Wow. Uh, speaking of will probably never be duplicated, my number eight is a movie that has often been replicated, never duplicated, because it is a standard bearer of science fiction excellence. Why, you may ask, is it all the way down at number eight? I will explain that to you in just a moment after I introduce The Matrix. It was uh, written and directed by Alana Wachowski and Lily Wachowski, starring everyone's favorite man of all time, Keanu Reeves, Lawrence Fishburne, Carrie Ann Moss, Hugo Weaving, who, um, by the way, is Lord Elrond, in case anybody didn't realize that, and Joe Pantoliano, uh... It's about computer hacker Neo, who is led into an alternate reality world by a beautiful stranger and a super hacker named Morpheus. I can't tell you what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. Is what Morpheus tells him. Just FYI. I, uh, 
I would like to go on about this film and how great it is and how cool it is and how like groundbreaking it was. Um, it is sci-fi genius. It is um, kind of a tale of truth versus perceived reality. But uh, invoking the Fight Club rule, I'm actually going to yield the greater share of Matrix discussion to my brother, who I know has it higher on his list. Uh, so I'm going to let him talk about it more. Instead, I will explain why it's number eight on my list and not much higher, which I'm sure surprises many because it is a really, really good movie and it is like a sci-fi standard. Sci-fi just typically isn't my genre um, because our lists are about our favorite movies and not necessarily the best movies. I try to pick films that I go back to and rewatch time and time again or movies that I find to be rewatchable. And I just don't reach for sci-fi that often. If I did, I would be watching The Matrix. <laughs> that is why it is on my list. Um, but for the most part, sci-fi tends to rank fairly low with me only because it's not really my go-to, but it's an excellent film. If you haven't seen the matrix, um, you really ought to. And what the heck, where have you been? Just saying. <laughs> they took the other pill. <laughs> All right. So my number seven is a quirky little comedy film directed by Alexander Payne, also written by Payne with Tom Perotu. I can't read my own writing. Uh, stars Reese Witherspoon, Matthew Broderick, Chris, Nobody can read your writing. Chris Klein, Jessica Campbell, and Delaney Prescoli. The movie's called Election. And uh, I'm going to be honest, when I first saw this movie, I didn't like it. But I watched it again fairly recently, and I had a kind of aha moment. Now I, it clicked, you know. I was like, ah, I see what I've been missing here. And I actually really like it a lot now. Matthew Broderick, in a performance where he's possibly sort of making fun of his own Ferris Bueller persona, maybe. He kind of steps into the Edward Rooney role a little bit, plays a high school teacher who... Uh, Rooney. Yeah, he kind of plays a high school teacher who uh, gets into a whirlwind of trouble when he sabotages uh, this high school presidential election because he just can't stand the thought of Goody Two-Shoes, Reese Witherspoon winning, uh, Tracy Flick, because she just rubs him the wrong way. And she's just such an overachieving go-getter. She's like one of those kids that you just want to kind of like... Just slap because she's just so, so bad. She's an overachiever. Like, lighten up, girl. Uh, this is a very quirky, clever comedy. Um, it may actually be one of the late. This, I think we have a lot of comedies on our list this year. We have a lot of comedies, folks. 99, 1999 was a funny year. Not going to lie. Despite the fact that I find her character annoying, Reese Witherspoon does an excellent job of playing her. Her ambition is, uh, it borders on psychotic. Um, this may have been a dress rehearsal for Legally Blonde. <laughs> um, there's a subplot with Matthew Broderick and his uh, marital woes. I think that might be the weakest link in the film because I think it kind of goes on a little too long. But it's still pretty funny. It's just could have been consolidated a little bit. But, uh, yeah, it is a very good representation of how personal feelings can screw up your, uh, you know, your professional life and vice versa. And there's a couple things I want to say about the movie in the trivia department. Um, Jessica uh, Campbell, who plays the one of the other candidates for president, sadly lost her life very young. She was only 38 years old when she passed away. What a waste of a talent. And I also read in the trivia that this is the favorite political-themed movie of our former president, Barack Obama, <laughs> which I thought was kind of funny. You think he like a hard-hitting political drama like All the President's Men or JFK or something like that. But no, it's actually an election about a high school presidential election. <laughs> Who knew? I guess Barack has a sense of humor. So, you know. So, yeah, if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Check out Election. It's just a hoot. And uh, 
do not vote for Tracy Flick. Oh, Barack. Barack has a sense of humor. That's Mr. President to you, sir. Unless you're buddies. You're not. That would be Mr. President. I'm just saying. Okay. He still has a Secret Service detail. I'm not going to make him that mad. That's right. Uh, Speaking of comedies, um, my next movie is not actually a comedy. It's an action film. Some people call it a horror film, which is actually comedic that they would do such a thing. I find it to be an action comedy. So, uh, and it is a movie that spawned several sequels, one of which is really bad. Um, And it is The Mummy, right? So last year we talked, or last uh, episode we talked about The Renaissance. Well, this is the original Brendan Fraser Renaissance um, this is his coming out party. It was directed by Stephen Summers, written by Stephen Summers, Lloyd. Ooh, speaking of can't read your own writing, Lloyd Fonville and Kevin Jarre. I make you sound all fancy there, Kevin. Starring Brendan Fraser, Rachel Weiss, John Hanna, Arnold Vosloo as Imhotep, Kevin J. O'Connor, and Oded Fair. Interesting note of trivia. The um Oded Fair was part of a group called the Magi, which were the protectors of the um, mummy or the curse or whichever. I I don't remember 100%, but they were supposed to be tattooed from head to toe. And director Stephen Summers decided not to do them head to toe because he said Oded Fair was far too good looking to cover up. And he's not wrong. So uh, the movie is about a group of explorers, including librarian Evelyn, her brother Jonathan, and guide Rick O'Connell, who she saved from death, uh, venturing to the ancient city of Hamunaptra, where they inadvertently set off an ancient curse and release a mummy trying to regain human form. He also doesn't like cats, which makes him a really bad person, in my opinion. Um, so as a, it's an action film, right? It's a lot of fun. Um, there's a lot of action, but it's it's funny. Brendan Fraser is relatable. He's down to earth. You can really support him. He doesn't come across as a cocky butthead like many action heroes do. And I think that's part of the reason why it's such a likable movie, because it's fun. It doesn't take itself too seriously. The cast is endlessly likable. John Hanna is relatable and funny. Rachel Weisz is the first thing I've seen her in. And not only is she beautiful, but she's charming and funny and likable. Um, she pokes fun at herself. <laughs> Brendan Fraser is, he's Brendan freaking Fraser, man. I'm just saying. Uh, far cry from Encino Man. He gets to be the like leading swashbuckling man in this film, but he's also really, really good. Like, he's a guy you'd want to hang out with, right? I mean, he's great. Um, I love it. It spawned a ton of sequels. If you haven't seen it, you're missing out just because it's so much fun. If you have seen it, you know it's a lot of fun. Um, you know, it's probably one of your favorites too. Don't lie. It's your favorite. Come on. They made a whole bunch of sequels and then somebody who's a really famous mega movie star ruined it by making a super, super serious version, which was not nearly as cool. So do better next time. Uh, but (laughs) number seven on my list, always enjoyable, always worth a rewatch. The original 1999 version of the mummy. I was told that I could watch The Mummy at a reasonable volume. You're not doing that now, are you? Yes, I am. Damn, it feels good to be a gangster. <laughs> oh, boy. I, I don't think you're wearing enough pieces of flair. <laughs> if you haven't figured it out by now, my number six is Office Space. Property accounts payable. Nina speaking. Just a moment. N- now who's doing the Jar Jar voice? <laughs> that is 
Nina. That is not Jar Jar. <laughs> it sounded like Jar Jar. Uh, Office Space is my number six. This was written and directed by Mike Judge, starring Ron Livingston, Jennifer Aniston, David Herman, Ajay Nau. I'm not going to try to say his name. He's not going to be working here anymore. Uh, <laughs> Gary Cole and Stephen Root. Uh, uh, the cubicle farm can be soul-crushing, can it? Peter Gibbons, an inoffensive office drone, uh, goes hilariously uh, hypnotized and then does what we all wish we could do, and that is take a effort attitude at work and gets promoted for his troubles. Then he ventures into embezzlement, and things go comedically haywire from there. Look, the plot of Office Space is almost incidental. This is really just sort of a commentary on office cubicle life and the zeitgeist of the 90s. Who, who knew that such a goofy comedy would be so deep, <laughs> if I'm being honest? Now what the heck is PC Load Letter? <laughs> <laughs> we need to talk about your TPS reports. <laughs> Gary Cole, I think, and I'm actually being semi-serious here. My sister teases me sometimes for being like the cinema snob in the stoot. I have 570 Criterion movies. But Gary Cole actually deserved an Oscar nomination for being the boss from hell with his, yeah, I'm going to need you to come to work on Saturday. <laughs> He's not a half day or anything. <laughs> he is like casually evil and he is he, with his stupid coffee mug and his idiot suspenders and his glasses. You just want to smack him. Um, but yeah, I love, I also love the Bobs. <laughs> and my favorite uh, bit of trivia about Office Space, and it just makes me laugh to this day. I don't know why, because I can't stand him. But apparently Michael Bolton, the real singer Michael Bolton, was not happy about this movie. <laughs> I just love that he got all bunged up about it. They call him a no-talent ass clown, for God's sake. But they're not wrong. <laughs> they speak truth. Uh, I hope your firings go really well, Bob. <laughs> Office Space, is, it's, a, it's one of the most endlessly quotable movies of all time. I quote it like weekly, even today, 20 some odd years later, it's, it's one of the funniest movies possibly of the nineties. Right. And, and didn't Mike judge bring us Beavis and Butthead? Uh, yeah. So we have a movie that we've been quoting for 23 years brought to us by the creator of Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> what could go wrong? What could go wrong? Okay, now, okay, I traded Jar Jar for Cornholio. I should have known better. I could go back to Jar Jar. (laughs) Send help. Somebody send help. All right. Lisa thinking she's doing number six. Stop it. Oh, my goodness. Hey. I broke my promise. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. Butthead and Jar Jar. (laughs) You're both in the timeout room. Go. Okay. Shit, I'm dying. I'm dying. I'm moving on. I have to move on, you guys. I have to, or we're never going to get through this episode. (laughs) Um, there's too much quotability happening in 1999. It's ridiculous. Wait till I get to my number one. I will be quoting that. I've been quoting that for 23 years. It's insane. Uh, number six. I'm going to move on to that right now. Not super quotable. I mean, sort of quotable, I suppose. It was, uh, directed by Michael Mann, written by Michael Mann and Eric Roth, based on the Vanity Fair article, The Man Who Knew Too Much by Marie Brenner. Excellent article, Marie, just for the record. Uh, It stars Russell Crowe, Al Pacino. Christopher Plummer as Mike Wallace is amazing, FYI. Speaking of should have gotten an Oscar. Uh, Philip Baker Hall, Bruce McGill, who's also really good. Michael Gambon, Colm Fiore, Rip Torn, Diane Venora, and Debbie Mazar. So we have some real Hollywood heavyweights uh, anchoring The Insider. It's uh, the story of Jeffrey Wigand, a disgruntled former tobacco researcher, 
who decides to do an expose on 60 Minutes, which sparks a series of attacks against him personally, his safety, his family. Uh, and meanwhile, caving into pressure from the network, the story gets buried and he becomes the human collateral uh, for basically just trying to do the right thing, which is kind of the theme of the whole movie is that, you know, sometimes doing the right thing is really, really the hard thing and that there are victims and, um, but it, it needs to be done. And he sticks, he stays the course and he fights for what he thinks is the right thing so that he can be a man that his children can look up to. And I mean, you got to admire a guy like that. You just do. Um, it's tense. It's disturbing. It uh, points out how, as the public is being lied to on the regular, not only by the products that we consume, but in this case, by the media withholding the information that the, that is protective to the public, that is a, the public's right to know. Um, the performances are amazing. It is a provocative film. Like I said, Christopher Plummer as Mike Wallace is just well, he's a, cover your ears, children. He is a real ball buster. Um, and he is amazing. Um, Russell Crowe does an amazing job. Al Pacino does an amazing job. Um, personally, I think that, I mean, after Last of the Mohicans, this may be Michael Mann's best. Um, he's at the top of his game. It's a little long, I think. It's two and a half hours. There's some parts where they probably could have sped it up just a little bit. But overall, I mean... It's an important movie to watch. It's a good, good movie to watch. And it's based on a true story, which is even more scary. Um, thank you, Jeffrey Wigand, for speaking the truth. Thank you, 60 Minutes, for publishing it. And thank you, Marie Brenner, for writing the article that spawned The Insider. Yeah, it's a good film. And darn it, the Fight Club rule will apply to me on that one. So she beat me to it. The Fight Club rule is especially important this year because Fight Club came out in 1999. <laughs> Yeah, so moving on to uh, my number five, and I should have had this movie at number six because my number five is The Sixth Sense. Uh, written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan, probably the only time he'll ever appear on one of my lists. Dude, I love Signs. Signs is, signs is cool. Signs might make mine if we do the odds. This stars Bruce Willis, Haley Joel Osment, Tony Collette, the goddess, Olivia Williams. Actually, they're both really goddesses, really. Donnie Wahlberg. And a bunch of other people, including Shyamalan himself. Uh, celebrated child psychologist Malcolm Crow uh, does his best to help a troubled eight-year-old Cole Sear, who claims to be able to see dead people. But there's a twist. Now, this is a movie where I'm not going to go into the plot too much, because if you're one of the three carbon-based life forms on the planet who haven't seen it, I'm not going to ruin it, because the twist is uh, kind of what the movie's sold on, really. <laughs> the twist is like, you go to the movie to see the twist, so... Uh, but it is a well-crafted ghost story, um, even uh, with the famous twist. So, yeah, Willis, never better. This actually may, may be my very favorite Bruce Willis performance. And um, I read an article once that said that the reason why this movie worked on so many people, the twist, is because people were not expecting that because of Bruce Willis's previous screen persona. Because he's kind of indestructible. Um uh, this is uh, also, sadly, this is also the movie where I became of uh, became aware of the troubling psycho psychological condition known as Munchausen syndrome by proxy. There's a subplot in which that is a big key factor. I'm not going to go into that one, but it's uh, starring a very young Misha Barton. Yeah, it's 
very terrible, and it's it's a very sad, sad mental condition, and it's no good can come from it. I also think this is one of James Newton Howard's best scores, and but uh, let's be honest here: the real the movie is stolen, lock, stock, and barrel by Tony Collette. She just, I loved her. She's great in the movie uh, as a single mother doing her best to just make sure her son is protected. Haley Joel Osment is one of the best child performances of all time in this movie. He's so uh, timid and and but brave at the same time. And this is a lot, this is a big performance for a kid to do. So he got an Oscar nomination and a well-deserved one too. So The Sixth Sense was one of 1999's most talked about movies. So I'm not going to add too much more to it because I feel like it's been discussed to death and I don't want to reveal the spoiler. So, and but, I still have to talk about it. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I see number five. Yeah. Interesting bit of trivia. I read that Haley Joel Osment was, um, a couple, he, there were three reasons he was given the role. The first one, uh, probably cause he was amazing. Um, he was the only kid that showed up at the audition wearing a tie. And when uh, M. Night Shyamalan asked him if he had read the part, he said he read it three times. And uh, he was asked, you read your part three times? And he said, no, I read the script three times. And uh, the director was very impressed with the commitment that the child made to the audition. And the rest, as they say, is history. Uh, I am on to number five, my number five. It, uh, oh boy, I might need a full box of Kleenex just to talk about this movie. Um, it was directed by Frank Darabont, written by Frank Darabont from the Stephen King novel. And Stephen King has even said that it is the most faithful adaptation of his work. Uh, it is The Green Mile. Speaking of Hollywood heavyweights, The Green Mile stars Tom Hanks, Michael Clark Duncan, David Morse, Bonnie Hunt, James Cromwell, Sam Rockwell, Barry Pepper, Patricia Clarkson, Michael Jeter, Graham Greene, and Doug Hutchison as the weaselly Percy who gets his comeuppance as he should. Because he is a cretin (laughs) of the utmost proportions, just for the record. Uh, The Green Mile follows a death row corrections officer during the Great Depression and the inmates under his care, including a supernatural phenomenon in the body of a gentle giant. Uh, And I'm not kidding when I say gentle giant because David Morse is a big dude and he is dwarfed by Michael Clark Duncan. He plays John Coffey, who is misunderstood out in the world. He's accused of a crime that he did not commit. In fact, he has the... I'm sorry, this is a spoiler alert, but he has the supernatural ability to undo things or to take away darkness and evil into his own body um, to protect others. So he is found at the scene of a crime trying to undo it, but he's not able to. But he gets pinned, uh, the crime gets pinned on him and he gets put on death row. Uh, Perfect place for a healing phenomenon, right? With the worst of society. And that's kind of why this is a super, super interesting story and concept. You have the absolute best of humanity mixed in with the absolute worst of humanity. Um, and then, you know, the, the courageous guys who are just trying to make it all work. Um, 
brings up a lot of questions like, would we as human beings recognize a light like John Coffey if he was actually in our presence or would we put our our human interpretations onto him. I've heard it compared to the Jesus parable in the same way that if a supernatural healer were to come back to earth, would we even recognize the second coming if it happened? Or, you know, would we put him on death row? (laughs) And then in the electric chair, ultimately. Um, If you haven't seen it, it's literally like a 10 hanky tearjerker um, just because Michael Clark Duncan gives the performance of a lifetime. He has gone way too soon. Um, he, his John Coffey is innocent and powerful and sad and you just, you got to see it. (laughs) You just got to see it. And it has possibly the cutest trained mouse you'll ever see in a film. Mr. Jangles, um, love him to death. Green Mile, great movie. Thank you, Stephen King at the (laughs) Barry Pepper balls like a baby in one scene. I got to tell you, Barry, I was right there with you. Yeah, you just saw Stephen King's house recently, didn't you? I did. It's really cool. <laughs> yeah, my s- sister was in Maine recently. So part of the reason why our uh, we had a delay in this episode because she went on holiday. The snot. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so I am stymied by the Fight Club rule for my number four because she already talked about it. It's The Insider. Uh, she mentioned, directed by Michael Mann, uh, written by Mann, Eric Roth uh, from the Vanity Fair article. Al Pacino, Russell Crowe, Christopher Plummer, Diana Venora. I'm not going to go too much into it because she went to the plot about research uh, scientist Jeffrey Wigand and his uh, determination to tell the truth about big tobacco. But uh, I will say that uh, what I felt when I watched this movie was like, it is amazing to me how the entire system around Jeffrey Wigand continuously failed him even though he was the one guy telling the truth. It's almost like the more truth he told, the more everyone else failed. And it was really kind of heartbreaking to see. I really liked Crow's performance in this movie. I really liked Al Pacino, too, who plays the producer on 60 Minutes, who's up against so many obstacles in trying to get the story on the air. Um, he has one of the best lines, I think, in the entire movie when he's, he's in one of his more shouty moments, and he says, does he... Does he tell the truth? Yes. Is it newsworthy? Yes. Are we going to air it? Of course not. And I think that just sums up almost the entire movie so beautifully right uh, there and then. So she already beat me to it, so I'm not going to uh, belabor the point too much. But I will say the one thing that I did find is a nitpick because I love uh, man's previous movie, Heat. He actually recycled a lot of the same music from Heat. And I'm like, dude, that was in your last movie. He was on a budget. He was on a budget. <laughs> Knock that crap off there, man. <laughs> but uh yeah, so yeah, the insider. Yeah, we've already discussed that one. So, but it is it is a fantastic movie. So check it out. I am also stymied by the Fight Club rule, um, which I mean we we could move into the Project Mayhem rule where you just don't ask questions. <laughs> but for now, we're going to stick with Fight Club. Uh, for those of you who are tuning into us for the first time, the Fight Club rule is you do not talk about Fight Club, obviously. So that means that if somebody has discussed a movie, we're not going to like belabor the same movie over again so that you have to listen to an hour about one movie. We want to talk about all the movies, so we're going to give all of them a fair shake. I am stymied by the Fight Club rule because I have the sixth sense at number four. I will um, double down on your praise for Toni Collette because she is a goddess, I love her. Tony Collette, if you listen to our podcast, which, come on, who are we kidding? You have much better things to do. Um, but I love you. 
<laughs> you might be my favorite. I'm just saying. Everything she does is magic. Everything she touches is magic, you guys. She's amazing. Um, I love this movie because, I, who are we kidding? It knocked everyone's socks off, right? It's the first M. Night Shyamalan, I'm going to try to say his name right instead of calling him Shyamalan like you did, uh, Shyamalan movie that we all really saw. I think he did about two before that, but it was the first one that really went big and he literally blew everyone away. Like nobody knew it was coming. And if you pretend you knew it was coming, you're a liar. Okay. I'm just saying, um, I like that it remains a very human story. It never veers into the hokey, um, even though it could easily just, you know, because of the plot and the grounded performances by the three leads, I think Tony Collette, Haley Joel Osment and, uh, Bruce Willis kind of elevate it from what could be kind of a, you know, a preposterous storyline into something that's really, really quite magical. So Sixth Sense, you know, you've heard about it. You know what probably happens. I'm not going to tell you all that. But uh, if you haven't rewatched it in a while, it's definitely worth it. And what is the first rule of Fight Club? You do not talk about Fight Club. So that begs a question. If we have Fight Club on our lists, are we allowed to talk about it? We have to because it's my number three. So, uh, as I just said, Fight Club is my number three, directed by David Fincher, uh, also written by Fincher from the book by Chuck Palahniuk. Oh, I'm sorry. Palahniuk? The screenplay is by Jim Ools from the book by Chuck Palahniuk. Starring Brad Pitt. I'm sorry if I butchered your name, buddy. Uh, Edward Norton, Helena Bonham Carter, Meatloaf, he is a bat out of hell, and Jared Leto. Fight Club. Wow, I will never listen to the Pixies the same way ever again. This is the movie. The movie. There's only two movies I liked better this year. This almost was my number one. An unnamed narrator, office worker drone, who has a chip on his shoulder. Let me me start again. I messed that up. An unnamed office worker and a chip on his shoulder soap maker find a healthy way to take out their aggressions. They start a club where they go fight each other. That's the plot. That I'm like the movie. What the movie is really about is much, much more than that. Um, but it has so many themes. I'm not going to go into all of them. But uh, it does. Is it about the male ego? Is it about emasculation? Is it about corporate America? Is it about anarchy? It could be about all these things, and it is healthy rage outlets. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's the thing. It is a, <laughs> as gruesome as it is. These men feel good about themselves at the end of the day. You know, they they they'll go and have a beer and say, "Yeah, hey, I should have ducked that right hook." You know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, you know what? I, I also liked. Um, I, I would rather watch these guys healthily beat the tar out of each other in this manner than watch the the wholesale slaughter that you see of anonymous enemies in Marvel movies. Because <laughs> I feel like there's more at stake, and yet the only thing that really at stake in Fight Club is just their aggressions. Their, it's their therapy. So, but yeah, Fight Club is easily one of the most stylish, one of the most well edited, well acted. Uh, it is a brilliant film. That's David Fincher. It's David Fincher. He how many movies has he had on our list so far? Seven was my number one for ninety five. So uh, this actually this could be my this is probably my second favorite Fincher movie after Seven. I mean, it's ask me again tomorrow. Maybe the other way around. I don't know. But uh, both Brad Pitt and Edward Norton are phenomenal in this movie. And again, a movie with a really cool twist. I'm not going to reveal it, but if you've seen it, you know. If you haven't seen it, I ain't going to spoil it for you, but Mischief, Mayhem, Soap, and Where Is My Mind? Fight Club is my number three. If you haven't seen it, 
what the hell's wrong with you? Go watch it. <laughs> it is a great movie. You do not ask questions about Project Mayhem. All right. My number three, again, stymied by the Fight Club rule because my number three is Office Space, written and directed by Mike Judge. Uh, you forgot to mention Paul Wilson already uh, in your list, who is one of the Bobs. Oh, John C. McGinley bad. and Paul Wilson collectively are known as the Bobs. Um, that was John C. McGinley? I think he spent, yeah, that was oh John C. McGinley. <laughs> you know, I celebrate his entire catalog. Look, we're still quoting it four places later on the list because that's what happens with Office Space. And I think you probably belabored the point more than I would have liked because I wanted to say you know, something about it. But I will just say that this uh, was a great year for satire. It was a great year for humor. Um, it was a great year for clever, well-written comedy scripts, which are my favorite ones. I do not like movies that rely on, like, bathroom jokes. I don't like movies that rely on, like, the low-hanging fruit. Office Space never does that. It never panders to you. It takes a wry and satirical look at cubicle life <laughs> and it illustrates it in a way that is incredibly relatable and incredibly funny. So that's all I'm going to say because you did, you know, I mean, you, you really talked about it for a long time. I'm just saying, um, and that's okay. Um, the soundtrack adds so much to it as does the addition of Kung Fu. And now back to you. Office space is definitely a movie that has more than 37 pieces of flair. And you need to let me talk about <laughs> yeah, because that's next for that's next yeah, for me. So by Grapthas Hammer, what a film! <laughs> that was my Alan Rickman impression. Uh, it's better than Jar Jar, so you know there's that. Uh, my number two is in fact Galaxy Quest. Uh, I she did the same thing for me with the Matrix, so I'm gonna do the same thing for her. Uh, we both have this movie on our list. Um, I'm not gonna belabor this one too much. It is directed by Dean Parasat. Uh, from a script by Robert Gordon and David Howard, Tim Allen, Sigourney Weaver, Alan Rickman, Tony Shalhoub, Missy Pyle, Sam Rockwell, Daryl Mitchell, Enrico Colantoni, Justin Long, Rain Wilson. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to even talk about the plot. I'm just going to skip right to my, what I like about it because you've all seen it. If you haven't seen it, seriously, what's wrong with you? Real quick. Yes, people, Rain Wilson, that Rain Wilson, Dwight Schrute is in Galaxy Quest. Yeah, everyone's in Galaxy Quest. It is one of the funniest movies of the 90s, if not the funniest. I still quote this movie on a regular basis. Is there air? You don't know. <laughs> you don't know. You don't know. My favorite thing about this movie, the thing that I love the most about Galaxy Quest is it absolutely 100% takes the piss out of Star Trek and all the nerd franchises, Star Wars, Battlestar Galactica, Tron, doesn't matter what you're into. Um, and But it does it in a way that is never insulting. It pays tribute, but never crosses that line. It never, it never makes you feel guilty for what you love if you love nerdy things. And I love that about it. Um, amazing visual effects. It does feel like a real world adventure, despite the fact that the, I like how they sort of dumbed down some of the effects for the TV show, too. <laughs> it's really cute. And I love the fact that it was also voted one of the best Star Trek films of all time in an actual official poll. <laughs> Seventh out of 12 at a Star Trek convention. Yeah, and it's not even a Star Trek movie, officially. Um, easily the last great comedy of the 90s, and possibly of all time. One of the most quotable movies. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, just great. Sam, Ro This is a movie that also launched Sam Rockwell, too. And Alan Rickman, uh, just breaks my heart. Look, I have one job on this podcast. <laughs> it's stupid, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> 
I'm done. Are you done? Are you done? I'm done. Okay. I'm going to how to drive. Does the rolling help? <laughs> All right, folks. Oh, we are down to the top two. We're down to the top two. Oh, it's been it has been an episode. Let me tell you, what a way to close out the '90s yeah. with both of us acting like complete imbeciles. It's great. Um, we had a guest appearance by Jar Jar Bunk, <laughs> and by Beavis and Butthead. Uh, I am on to my number two, which I'm not, which I'm not allowed to talk about <laughs> again. And this time, I'm not allowed to talk about it. Not only because of the Fight Club rule, but because it is Fight Club, and you already talked about Fight Club, so I have to invoke the Fight Club rule for Fight Club. Have you followed along? <laughs> I need charts. I know. I, I need a PowerPoint. There's got to be. There's got to be a. Shut up! Shut up! Yeah, there's gonna <laughs> there's gonna have to be a slideshow. All right, uh, moving on. You talked about Fight Club. First of all, if my friend Regina's listening, yeah, it's number two. I know you were mad at me for making Goodfellas number two. You're gonna be mad at me for making Fight Club number two. I struggled, okay? I really struggled. But when it comes down to rewatchability, I happen to rewatch my number one, like, I don't know, once every couple months. Fight Club, maybe twice a year. So it really just came down to which one do I watch more? It's not an indictment. Fight Club could easily have been number one on a different day. Just put it that way. Um, so to tack on to what you said, really, Fight Club is a satirical commentary on com uh, consumerism. Uh, untapped masculinity, it touches on mental health, it's anti-establishment, it has damn fine acting across the board. Helena Bonham Carter in a role that is just way too small for her talent. Um, she's great. I love it. The surprise ending is the surprise. I mean, hey, look, what a year for surprise endings, right? <laughs> like We had a couple of whiz-bang endings um, that are going to, you know, just knock people off their socks. Edward Norton. Oh, my God. So I know uh, last year or the year before I talked about American History X and I said he may have never been better. Well, he topped himself. He actually topped himself in Fight Club. If you remember the scene where he's beating the crap out of himself in a parking garage. <laughs> I mean, come on. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Fight Club is great. And it becomes Project Mayhem and you can't ask questions about Project Mayhem. So you can't ask me questions about why I like it. We're no longer allowed to talk about it. We're no longer allowed to ask questions. So that, that has to be a wrap. On Fight Club. All right. My number one. We're already at my number one, and it is a movie you've already talked about and had criminally lower on your list, but that's okay. I forgive you. But I had the grace to let you discuss it. I know, and I can sum up my number one movie in one word. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> my number one movie, and again, this was a toss-up because I also very toyed with the idea of putting Fight Club at my number one, but I had to, I had to give it to The Matrix. To me, this was the movie of 1999, directed by the Wachowskis, starring Keanu Reeves, Carrie Ann Moss, Lawrence Fishburne, Hugo Weaving, Joey Pants, uh, Joe Pantoliano, uh, Marcus Chong, Matt Doran, and Belinda McCrory. McClory. Wow, my writing is bad. Uh, computer hacker Neo is uh, led by a shadowy group led by Morpheus, a legendary hacker, into a battle to save humanity from their enslavement by fighting them on their own ground, a computer simulation known as The Matrix. This is Alice in Wonderland as a rave party. This movie is amazing, the most dude movie ever. Uh, by the way, this movie holds a record as the uh, only movie to win every single Oscar it was nominated for without being nominated for Best Picture. 
four out of four. Yeah, all technical wins, visual effects, sound editing, sound mixing, and film editing. Won all four of them. Um, so yeah, the great this movie has great stunts, great uh, great technical filmmaking behind it. The helicopter chase, or not chase, but the action scene with the helicopter was took a month to rehearse. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of movies in the late '90s seem to deal with, uh, and a lot of movies on this list seem to deal with corporate America. This one is no exception. Uh, Fight Club and Office Space also touched on this theme. Um, but yeah, I think people were tired of uh, being treated like a uh, like a demographic, and The Matrix uh, sort of tapped into that zeitgeist as well. Uh, it has a lot of philosophical. Uh, religious theological uh, theories, and I I just love weird little. It has so many Easter eggs in this movie, like the fact that uh, Neo's apartment number is all ones and zeros, the language of binary. I mean, it just weird stuff like that that no one will ever notice unless you like pause every single scene of the movie and write down everything you see and find. There's probably thousands of Easter eggs in this movie. Um, it is a thinking person's epic. Um, and uh, Keanu, I love Keanu. I love the action, the kung fu fighting. It has f- great choreography in the action scenes. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne is just as cool as the coolest dude ever. The way I love the sunglasses about the s- stems. <laughs> <laughs> and Joey Pants is great um, as this sort of a traitor. It's the Matrix. I mean, it's the Matrix people, and everyone and their mother who made a movie after this spoofed the bullet time photography. Uh, even Shrek did it. <laughs> so the matrix is my number one with a bullet. It is a fantastic game changing science fiction movie that, uh, I probably the most game changer sci-fi movie since Blade Runner. I'm not even joking. It's that good. Sweet. And, uh, as discussed, you, um, already talked about my number one. You basically ruined it for me. So thanks for that. Um, just kidding. My number one, believe it or not, folks, believe it or not, I'm walking on air. is Galaxy Quest. Okay? I know. It's a silly comedy. Uh, it is a spoof of TV show sci-fi films. Um, how could that be my number one? Well, have you seen it? I'm going to tell you. It's a criminally underappreciated film. Um, it is hilarious. Sam Rockwell... <laughs> Uh, the guy, believe it or not, so he's in the Green Mile and he plays a total creep. But who knew the guy was born to do comedy because he is cheeky, <laughs> funny, insecure. He's Sam Rockwell. I, just, I can't. He's a, he's hilarious. Um, I'm not sure if you really went deep into the plot. It's about the cast of a long since canceled cult TV show uh, who've been doing the like con circuit, right? And like advertisements <laughs> by Grabthaw's Hammer. <laughs> what a savings. Um, until they find themselves embroiled in the middle of a real life outer space adventure. Um, I, I, I don't know. I just love this movie. I love their friendship. I love their loyalty. I love that they find those things in each other. I love the kids, right? So it plays total homage to those sci-fi geeks who are like super into like the, you know, the layout of the ship and the, the yeah, the schematics and those kids end up, you know, saving the day. Um, so like you said, it, it never, it never insults you know, the people that it's sort of spoofing, it's more, it's more of a love song to sci-fi fans and the sci-fi universe. Um, it's a great script. It's a perfect cast. The ensemble, 
the way they work together is freaking, it's just freaking amazing. Tim um, Allen doing Shatner is funny. Yeah. And, and to be honest, like the reason it's my number one is because of the rewatchability. I could watch Galaxy Quest and laugh my butt off once a week. I don't know. Every <laughs> okay. single time. Every yeah. Single every time. single time. It's, it's funny and I find new things to laugh at. And the great thing is some of the humor that's super, super subtle. It's super subtle. You got to watch it. You know, there's a guy saying he doesn't have a last name. And like 30 seconds later, um, Jason calls him by his last name. (laughs) And but if you're not paying attention, you're going to miss some of the best jokes in the movie in the movie. Um, Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman said he didn't really want to do a sci fi movie, but he liked the script so much. And he thought it was so funny um, that he had to be a part of it. Um, I love it. and it's not even hashtag basic. It's truly, truly one of the great comedies. I love the, so, the, the, the thing with Sam Rockwell at the end where everyone else. Yeah. So <laughs> if you haven't seen it, quick thing to keep your eye on just for funny. I would just the whole movie. He's afraid that he's going to be the guy that gets killed if he goes down to the planet or if he stays on the ship. He's the he's the red shirt. Right. Yeah. Like he's the, the glorified extra. Um, so I'm going to be the guy that gets killed. Do you guys ever watch the show? And then it turns out at the moment where, you know, there's gunfire all around and lasers hitting everybody and everyone's getting hit. He's the only one standing there with lasers flying all around him and like not even coming close. So it's just those little kind of subtle comedy moments that make Galaxy Quest pure gold. Um, It's a great movie. It is my favorite of 1999. As great as the others are, and they were great. They were great. It was a great year. Um, Galaxy Quest is just, it's just a favorite. Never give up. Never no. surrender. That's right. So we are Thermians. We are. It is now time for my honorable mentions. <laughs> all right, here. Honorable mentions? Or are you doing um, I'll almost do rants? I'll do all my honorable mentions first. Okay. So, uh, uh, yeah, my honorable mentions for 1999 movies that didn't quite make my uh, top ten, but were, I respect them in one way or another. You actually had a couple on your list. The Green Mile being one of them. I love it. I think it's a little too long. It didn't quite make my list. Also, Magnolia, same exact thing. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's great ensemble. Some of the stories are more interesting than others, so I kind of bumped it. I also like uh, Sofia Coppola's uh, directorial debut, The Virgin Suicides. Good uh, film. Girl Interrupted, just missed my list. Uh, Great Winona performance. Uh, I also really love the animated Iron Giant. Really cute, uh, cute movie. And uh, also uh, The Mummy is a... is a great Indiana Jones-ish adventure yarn with Brendan Fraser and my girlfriend, Rachel Weiss. So those are my honorable mentions. Uh, James Bond might have something to say about that. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just throwing it out there. Um, so I don't actually have honorable mentions. What I have instead are movies I should have watched. <laughs> I made a list of movies that are um, that look like they're going to be really good and that I really wanted to watch, but I didn't. So shame on me. I'm going to tell you the movies I really feel like I should have watched that were supposedly excellent films from 1999. So if you've seen them, good for you. This is my watch list now. Uh, Being John Malkovich, which you already discussed. Uh, Boys Don't Cry, (laughs) which I'm sure is a really hard watch. But you know what? (laughs) Hilary Swank is, she's tremendous. And I kick myself all the time that I haven't actually seen this movie yet. Um, I'm kind of afraid to, to be honest with you, because I think it's going to be like an emotional... It's, an it's emotional rough. crushing, <laughs> um, but I love her, so I need to I need to give it a watch. I have Girl Interrupted on my tablet. I've had it on my tablet for about three weeks now, and I just never got around to watching it. Shame on me. Um, and Sleepy Hollow. I wish I would have watched that 
So I could have made all these movies my almost rans, but now they're my almost watched. So yeah, I got a couple of guilty indulgences. Uh, one of which is the very entertaining but somewhat sappy movie October Sky. It's cute, but you know, it is what it is. Uh, Pierce Brosnan had his third entry as Bond in the world is not enough. I think the theme song by Garbage is better than the movie. But it's a, it's a fairly decent Bond entry. Uh, that's a good guilty indulgence. Also, Disney's Tarzan is a good uh, guilty indulgence. And Daddy, they took my boot. Sorry, I love Mini Driver is Jane in that. And also, I've kind of been making fun of him the whole episode, but uh, Jar Jar Binks made his illustrious debut this year in 1999's Star Wars The Phantom Menace. I have it as a guilty indulgence because I do love the lightsaber fight at the end and the pod racing and John Williams' music, and I like Ewan McGregor and Liam Neeson in the movie, but the rest of it is complete naff. So it's a, the first Star Wars movie in 16 years was a bit of a letdown because of Jar Jar! I can't believe you even put it on your guilty pleasures list. All right. I stated my reasons why it's a guilty pleasure. All right. I actually have more guilty pleasures because um, there were a lot of really fun movies in 99, even if they weren't like, you know, super critical darlings. Uh, I love She's All That, FYI, which is a modern uh, telling of Pygmalion starring Freddie Prince Jr. And I mean, if you had Freddie Prince Jr. in a teen movie in the 90s, that was, I mean, you were... You were awesome. Uh, Rachel Lee Cook making that fabulous entrance that none of us will ever forget. She's adorable. Uh, Dogma is on my guilty pleasures list. Another great comedy from the 90s. I have uh, another Russell Crowe entry with Mystery Alaska. A fun little hockey movie. Uh, The Bone Collector. (laughs) It has Denzel Washington in it. It has Denzel. You guys know I love Denzel. Uh, For Love of the Game as a baseball fan. Um, it's a little long. It pontificates a little bit, but it's got John C. Riley, you know, and you got to appreciate that. Um, for love of the game, good baseball film. And then Three Kings uh, with George Clooney and Ice Cube and Mark, um, excuse me, Ice T. My bad. No, Cube. I was right the first time. It's Ice Cube, yeah. <laughs> Holy, you ice, ice people. I'm confused. Um, ice Cube, George Clooney, and Mark Wahlberg. Um, Apparently Guilty. Not <laughs> no, I, I said at the beginning, at the outset, that I was tired. So um, I am going to forgive myself for not getting the ice correct. Actually, I had the ice correct. I just second guessed myself. Uh, Three Kings, fun movie, good to watch, entertaining, you know, like most things in 1999. Um, so that is not only a wrap on this episode, that is a wrap on the 1990s, which, you know, we said from the beginning is my favorite decade for movies although i did kind of tease that when we get into the uh the aughts um that some of my favorite movies of all time will be making an appearance at the beginning but before we go there we have a special series that i'm going to let my brother talk about because he is super duper jar jar level excited that's right folks we're gonna take a break from doing year by year uh lists for a while starting with our next episode we're gonna be doing secret lists and the way this is going to work is what's a secret list i'm glad you asked allow me to tell the fine folks at home what the secret list is it's exactly what it sounds like we're gonna make our own lists in secret that way they could be from any genre any time period in history and so we won't have a lot of duplicate movies probably hopefully and we're going to reveal them on the air and have them in envelopes, just like we're at an award show. And I'm going to say, this is my list. You get to open it and reveal it and vice versa. But are the scary dudes with the briefcase going to come in and stuff? 
and Price Waterhouse. Yeah, are the Price Waterhouse dudes going to come in and like, do we have to have a key? Or is it going to be attached to their wrist via chain, or how's that going to work? Well, we're not going to do like the La La Land situation where they, we read the wrong envelope. <laughs> Out too soon, too soon. Too soon. Um, no, it'll be. I, I'll trust you to keep it secret and not snoop on mine. So, is it secret? Is it safe? It's secret. It is safe. We do not talk about these lists. So, yeah, it's going to be a secret-themed list. I will have one. She will have one. And then we'll count them down the same way we always do, 10, 10, 9, 9, so forth and so on. And then, uh, yeah, we're going to do that for about, I don't know, 10 episodes or so. And then we'll probably go back into the aughts. Maybe maybe we'll go back to the 80s. I don't know. So we'll figure it out. We may actually have like 12 listeners by then who might be super-duper excited. I'm, I'm very pumped for it. But those of you who are listening, we want to thank you for spending your time with us. While we, you know, we think we're funny. I mean, in real, in real life, we're freaking hilarious. I'm just saying. Never um, surrender. Yeah, I hope it comes across on the podcast. Sometimes, you know, <laughs> sometimes we tend to veer into the jar jar. Um, but at all times, we're movie fans. We're movie geeks. That's what we do. That's why we like to talk about them. We hope you like to talk about them. And uh, we hope you find something on our podcast that you haven't watched before, haven't seen before, haven't seen in a long time. Something that becomes your new favorite. Misa out. Thank you for joining us on Gen X Cinema Geeks. We're now going to go make some soap and beat the crap out of each other. Thanks for joining us.